Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. We now rejoin today's message already in progress. So in both of these aspects, Christ needed to die. He needs to die, first of all, to release his will to go into force. He needs to die, secondly, because covenants are always ratified, we could say made secure, by the death and the bloodshed of some individual. Now here's a beautiful thought. Grab hold of this. It just kind of struck me. If you've got the death of somebody releasing something in verse 16 and 17, and you've got the death of something ratifying, the death of someone ratifying the covenant in verse 18, you can take it a step further than that, and you still got somebody who is a living mediator of a covenant. That means you now got a resurrection. Amen. Hallelujah. So you put those things all together, they have to allow for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He had to die to release his will. He had to live to make it operate. He had to die to ratify the covenant. He had to live to keep the terms of it. So the resurrection is implied in all of it. Amen. Glory to God. See, even I learned something today. Amen. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Mm-mm-mm. So, for the first covenant, he says in verse 18, was ratified by blood. What's so shocking about the second one being ratified in the same way? Look at verse 19. Here he digs it up in the old covenant. We'll look at it for a minute. It's very, very interesting. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood. You see that? Now, the law came clear back in the book of Exodus. When Moses got done firing the whole thing out to everybody and unloading every bit of it on them, he took the blood of calves, goats, and some water and some scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the New Testament, or the New Covenant, which God has now joined unto you. Now Moses, he goes back and says, Look at your great Moses. When the first covenant came, it was the whole thing with blood. Now let me take you back to Exodus chapter 19 for a minute. Let's look at it in verse 5. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine. You shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Now that's great. Verse 8. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken to us we will do. Did they do it? No. And Moses returned the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord Lord probably said, yeah, right. And then it went on from there. God gave them the various characteristics in the covenant. Chapter 20, you're very familiar with. God spoke and said, here's what I want you to start out with, Moses. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make unto you any carved image or any likeness of anything in the heaven above, in the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. Verse 5. 
You shall not bow yourself down to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, etc., etc., etc. He goes on down and gives what we commonly know as the Ten Commandments. That's only the beginning of the Mosaic Covenant. In chapter 20, verse 24, he gives them a little further grace provision because he knows they're not going to make it. He says, when you sin, make an altar of earth, you shall make unto me, and you shall sacrifice thereon your burnt offerings, your peace offerings, your sheep, your oxen, in all places where I record my name, and I will come unto you and bless you. And if you will make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it out of hewn stone. For if you lift up your tool upon it, you'll pollute it. Neither shall you go up upon your steps to my altar, that your nakedness be not exposed thereon. In other words, you don't want to get going up there so people can see up your backside or whatever you got wearing. It's a very sacred place. And he didn't even want carved stone there. It had to be sacred because a place where they could atone for their sin. And he goes on from there in chapter 21, gives them all kind of details. Uh... All the rules applying to slaves in verses 1 through 11. Verse 12 to 36, uh, all the rules applying to personal injury. What happens when two men fight each other and something happens to the other guy? What happens when you hurt somebody else's ox? All of that. Uh, verse 22 talks about theft. What do you do about that? Chapter 22, verse 5 and 6 talks about property damage and then there's a rule about dishonesty through verse 15 and immorality in 16, 17, 19. Uh, there's some civil and religious so forth obligations, closing out 22, opening up chapter 23, and then ceremonial rules. Uh, he gives them some rules about people that they conquer at the end of chapter 23. So all those are the terms of the Mosaic Covenant. There's a lot of stuff in there. And Moses evidently had read it all to everybody. Now, covenants historically had always been ratified by blood. That's the tradition that God established, and that's what they believed in. Remember that in Genesis, that's what happened. When God gave Abraham the covenant, God knocked him out, basically, with a divine anesthetic after he had slaughtered those animals, cut them in half, laid the bloody pieces on two sides, took a turtle dove and killed it, and on the other side, I think it was a pigeon, Anyway, then God passed between the bloody pieces. In other words, even the Abrahamic covenant was sealed by blood. So this is what happened in the Mosaic case. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying here. Now we come, verse 1 of chapter 24, see what happens. After he's given all of this, and he's read it, he said, Now Moses, come up unto the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abu, 70 of the elders of Israel, but worship afar off. Notice it's always far off. Never any access to God under the Old Covenant. It's always far off. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but they shall not come near. Neither shall the people go up with him. You see, only the high priest, and Moses here is acting as the high priest at this point. Moses came and told all the people, all the words of the Lord, all the ordinances. All the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. They start off with great intentions. Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and then rose up early in the morning. That must have been a long night. Amen. There were a lot of words there. Most people today don't even want to read what he wrote in one sitting, let alone write it all out by hand all in one night. Amen. And then he built an altar under the hill and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. 
sent two men out, except six, like, all right, come down to verse six, uh, verse five. And he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. He took the book of the covenant, read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, all the Lord has said we will do, and we will be obedient. Moses took the blood, the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, Behold, the blood covenant, which the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. So you see there, the whole thing was ratified by blood. That is God's standard. That's what he requires. Now let's go back to Hebrews chapter 9. And, and you understand what it means in verse 19 now. It says, For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats, water, scarlet, wool, uh, hyssop, and sprinkled the book and all the people. That was Moses' act of ratifying the covenant with God. And incidentally, it's interesting that the writer of Hebrews adds for us certain details that are not included in Exodus 24. For example, he adds goats. There aren't any goats in Exodus 24. Maybe they were a special type of sin offering. I don't know. He also adds water there. Water was not in Exodus 24 either, but it was used in Leviticus chapter 14, verse 6, and in Numbers 19 to mix with blood, probably in order to prevent it from, from coagulating, likely, uh, so that when it was sprinkled, the mixture of water thinned it out a little bit, making it easier to sprinkle. He also mentions scarlet wool and hyssop. They were also used in Leviticus 14 to sprinkle. They were dipped in the blood, and then that was used to sprinkle things. And Then he indicates, too, that at the end of verse 19, that he sprinkled not only the book, but all the people. In Exodus 24, it says he sprinkled the altar and the people. So he sprinkled the altar, the book, and the people. Amen. A lot of blood going on there. I don't think we, in this day and time, can really understand how bloody and how messy... This whole thing really was. Sometimes I imagine what it would have been like, you know, in these feast days with all of these sacrifices going on and the stench and, and the blood and, and the carcasses and everything. It was really messy. Messy, messy, messy. There's blood everywhere. And that was God by sign and symbol. Always showing the wages of sin was what? Death. Constantly. There's no sense of getting teary-eyed and mystical about blood. You know, you sing hymns, there's power in the blood, all that. We, we don't want to get preoccupied with the blood. The only importance the blood of Jesus has is that it showed he died. There's no saving fact in the blood itself. We cannot say that the very blood of Jesus, his physical blood, is what atones for sin. It's his death that atones for sin. His bloodshed was an act of death. So don't become so preoccupied with fantasizing about some mystical blood that's out floating around somewhere. It's not. It's by the sacrificial offering of himself, that is by his death, that we are redeemed. Bloodshed is only the picture of his death. And so always in the ratification of a covenant, blood was shed. Because in every covenant that God made with man, he knew there would be a violation, right? And that violation is sin. 
And that sin could only be taken care of by death. Therefore, initially, God showed the importance of the sacrificial system by making that initial ratification of a covenant. So when Jesus died and shed his blood, that's no big thing. That's nothing for Israel to all get all bent out of shape about. This ought to be a good proof that God was instituting a new covenant with them. And it had to be ratified by blood, which they could relate to. Back in Leviticus 17, listen to this. This far back, verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. There is nothing else that can atone for sin but bloodshed. Brother Bob, you said blood doesn't atone for soul that Jesus' death did. The blood is symbolic of his death. That was the proof of his death. You cannot enter into God's presence by being good. You can't do it. You cannot enter into God's presence by being a fine person. You can't do it. You cannot enter into God's presence by going through religious rituals. You can't do it. You cannot enter into God's presence by reading the Bible every day, by going to church, by being a member of church, or thinking sweet thoughts about God. The only way you're ever going to get into God's presence and in participation in the new covenant is by one thing, the death of Jesus Christ. And your faith and your belief in his shed blood on the cross for you personally. That's the only way. That's the only access. Jesus said, I am the way. God set the rules. The soul that sins shall die. Then God, in grace, moved right back in and provided a death substitute. Jesus' death is the only thing that satisfies God. Every other death of animals and bulls and goats and all that up to that time was, as we explained before, God was using it to say your salvation is secure on credit if you believe. And then in the death of Jesus, that bill was paid off. Go read a God. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Because... He requires death to pay for sin. And all over the Old Testament, he splattered blood in order they might be constantly made aware of the fact that bloodshed was the only payment for our sin. Forgiveness is very costly. I often think to myself how lightly I take the forgiveness of God. Sometimes I come to the end of the day and I lay down on the pillow, get ready to go to bed, and I think, God, we did this today, that today, the other thing today. And I usually try to recite things that I know he, I know he already knows about it. And I'm sure he knows about every one of them, amen? And then I recite things that I didn't think were pleasing to him. I say, thank you for forgiving me. And then I go to sleep in just a couple minutes. Then, you know, I begin to think sometimes as I study the Word of God for the cost it took to purchase my forgiveness. That how cheaply sometimes we consider it. The, the infinite cost that God went to in order to forgive our sins. And we are all so ready to sin. In the background, it's in our nature. And sometimes we do it knowing that we're already forgiven. That's an abuse of what God has given his grace to us for. That's why Paul in Romans chapter 6 
faces the question, shall we sin so that grace may abound? And he throws his hands up in the air and says, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer in it? Would we stop all over God's grace? Consider the cost of your forgiveness, folks. God is such a bound God, bound to his own character, he cannot break the moral laws of his nature. He cannot violate the moral laws of this universe that he established. He built it into the universe. The fact that sin demands death. And finally, since he made everything, he's the God of all things, he decided that he's the one that would have to pay the price. And he paid it. Glory to God. Amen. Forgiveness is not just God looking down and saying, oh, it's okay, I like you a lot, I'll just let it slide. No. Sin is the costliest thing in the universe. And without bloodshed, there's no forgiveness of sin. If you are forgiven, it's because somebody died. And that somebody is Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Look at verse 23. He brings this point up. It was therefore necessary. Don't you like that? Just stop right there and you've got enough of it. He had to die. It was necessary. It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in the heaven should be purified with these. That's the pattern of the things that were in heaven in the old system. They were just a sketch or a shadow of a pattern was really in heaven. We covered that before. It was necessary that the pattern of the things in heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices. Listen, if your whole system had to be purified with a sacrifice, then you must know that the heavenly one must be made with a must be purified with a, a far, far better sacrifice. Far better. Jesus is superior to any goat, ram, bull, sheep, infinitely better. If it was necessary that the copy had to have sacrifices, how much more necessary that the reality had to have a sacrifice? Not only just a sacrifice, but a better sacrifice. All the blood of the old covenant was nothing but a picture of the shed blood of Jesus. And the death of Jesus Christ is what justifies God. God was so satisfied with what Jesus did, he highly exalted him and gave him a name above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Things in heaven and under the earth. God exalted Jesus and lifted him up to the highest place he could lift him to. His own right hand because of what he had done. He was so satisfied. God is satisfied with Jesus. And you want to know something? He's not satisfied with me. Did you know that? God's not satisfied with me. He's not satisfied with you. That's why I come to him in the name of Jesus. And I hang tight to Jesus. Because God is satisfied with him. When I enter to God's presence, I don't enter in by my own righteousness. I enter in in the righteousness of Christ. Because God's not satisfied with my righteousness. He's not satisfied with your righteousness. But he is satisfied with the righteousness of Jesus. And only Jesus. Amen. But the death of Jesus purchased forgiveness. He recognized that God was the one that had to be satisfied. And he offered his blood. And thus revealed God's love and God's mercy and God's forgiveness for all who believe. Amen. That's a beautiful illustration. And I really love this one. Luke 18. You remember the story of the two guys that went to the temple and pray? One of them was humble. The other was looking for a vacancy in the Trinity. Amen. <laughs> 
Two men went up, as Luke 18.10, two men went up to the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee, religious, the other a tax collector. You can't get any lower than that, not in that day. It may be a wonderful profession nowadays. <laughs> Don't laugh, I hear you laughing. Okay, well, I know it's the IRS and all, but amen. Even they can receive Jesus, glory to God. All right, verse 11. Oh, Lord, we're almost out of time. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Isn't that interesting? He wasn't even talking to God. He prayed thus with himself. That's interesting. God, I thank you that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector here. I fast twice in the week, Monday, noon, Thursday night, whatever. I give tithes of all that I possess. Verse 13, and the tax collector, standing far off, there's those words again, would not lift up as much as his eyes to heaven, smote his breast. Now watch this, this is good. God, I'm going to give you the little Greek here. God, be propitiated to me, a sinner. You know what that means? God, be satisfied that I recognize I'm a sinner. Verse 14 says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself shall base, he that humbles himself shall be exalted. What was he saying? What was this guy saying, the second one? He was saying, God, I confess my guilt. I have broken your law. You're the one against whom I have sinned. I'm putting myself under the blood of the goat, which sprinkles the mercy seat. God, be satisfied. Let your attitude be towards me as it is towards those who are covered by the blood of the sacrifice. He was a Jewish man. He is putting himself under the goat's blood, sprinkled on the mercy seat. And the Greek translation is, God, be propitiated to me. In other words, God, be satisfied and release to me your love and your mercy. He did not deny his sin. He did not deny his guilt. He just put it under the blood of the sacrifice. And he didn't offer it to God with something of his of his own, like the other guy who stood there and said, I'm this and I'm that. He asked God to manifest mercy to him on the basis of the shed blood, according to Leviticus 16. And the result, Jesus said, he was justified by confession of sin and faith in God. Folks, it's only as you and I put ourselves under the blood of Jesus Christ, isn't it? I say, God, I stand here a sinner. I place myself under the blood of Jesus Christ. Be satisfied. Be satisfied. Amen. If you have never received Jesus as your Savior, you can do so now. we still got a lot of things to go through. I ran out of time. We'll take it up there next time, more than likely. See how the Lord leads. But if you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, if you have never really understood what his sacrifice meant or accomplished until now, then I ask you to do so today. It is really, really simple. Romans chapter 9, verse 9 and 10 clearly state that he died for you and that your eternal salvation is so close, it's available by the words of your own mouth. Jesus once said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, if you really believe Jesus saved you once and forever, then you believe in your heart and these words will take effect. Amen. Visualize yourself standing at the foot of the cross and you can look up at the cross and say to yourself, that cross was prepared for me. I deserve to die there. 
but I'm going free because somebody else hangs there in my place. Think about Barabbas for a minute. Amen. I'll close with this. The, the Romans prepared three crosses. On two of the crosses, thieves were to hang there. On the third cross, the one guilty of treason against the Roman Empire, whose name was Barabbas, was supposed to hang there. He had already been sentenced to death. But Barabbas never made it to the cross. The crowd said, release to us Barabbas and crucify Christ. That's what they told Pilate. So you see, sentence was passed on Barabbas. He was guilty, worthy of death. He had been found guilty by the Romans. By the Romans. But Barabbas never got to the cross. Somebody took Barabbas' place. And that was Jesus. Just like we studied last time about Abraham sacrificing Isaac. As he got ready to plunge that knife into Isaac, God said, Stop! Abraham, Abraham, stop! Don't do it! And there was a goat stuck in the bush by his horns. And that goat they took and sacrificed on the altar. That goat took Isaac's place. Jesus took Barabbas' place on the cross. Amen? Barabbas went free. But he didn't go free because he was innocent. He went free because somebody took his place. So as you stand at the foot of the cross... Look up, you can say, that cross was for me. I deserve to die there. But I go free because Jesus took my place. Once you believe that, repeat after me. Father God, I know I'm a sinner, deserving death to pay for my sin. But I now believe with my heart that Jesus died for me and paid my sin debt. I ask you, God, to forgive my sins based on the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus, I believe you died for me in my place and that God accepted your sacrifice and raised you from the dead. Forgive me, Lord Jesus, of all my sins. I plead the blood of Jesus over my entire life and over all my sins. Come into my heart, Lord. Be my Savior. And thank you for doing this for me. Thank you, Father God, for accepting me into your holy family because of what Jesus did for me. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. If you prayed that prayer with us, go to ftfm.org. Well, I'm sorry. Go to email me first at brotherbob at ftfm.org and let us know. We want to rejoice with you. Amen. Go to our website, ftfm.org. Look around. Go to the archives. Download the old broadcast. Amen. And we just give you praise for all that you do for us, our partners. Oh, you bless us all the time. And we thank for it. Be blessed, folks, and all you do. We'll see you next time. Amen. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God.